Hello, Internet friends. Welcome back to the Live Richly podcast. My name is Ike, and this is actually one topic that I've been wanting to get into. A lot of people have been asking me about this, and we're talking about cryptocurrencies, in particular Bitcoin. We just had a crazy, crazy couple of couple of weeks, couple of months actually. So I'm joined today by somebody who knows more about Bitcoin than I do. Someone who's a bit of a crypto expert and he's someone who actually manages all of sort of the crypto investing that I do. He's kind of the guy who I go to who kind of directs me where, where I should be looking, what I should be investing in, what I should be factoring in. So he's actually a really good resource to have on board. And he's someone who works in financial services, but because of his position, he can't really speak publicly about cryptocurrency. He's a bit of a undercover, if, I, if that's the best way to explain it. So we're going to be calling him Crypto Carnage, and it's a weird name, but um, yeah, which is kind of, I don't know, leads to more of what is actually happening in this, in this crypto space where we have people who are going with, around using pseudonyms. So let's bring him on board now. Uh, Mr. Carnage, how are you doing? Good, Ike. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, my friend. I am well. Uh, so I've got a ton of questions for you for you uh we uh, at the end of this podcast i'm hoping for people to be experts in all things crypto from zero to 100 and we are just going to drain you of all the knowledge that you have yep i'll try my best all right cool all right so um let's jump into it what is crypto what are crypto assets what are digital assets um when people are talking about them like what are these things and why do they exist yeah, it's a, it's a tough question to answer because there's different, um, I guess, meanings to it and different uh, explanations that people have given. But essentially, cryptocurrency refers to a digital or virtual currency. Um, and there's obviously Bitcoin is the main one. That's the one that started it all. Uh, but there are thousands of them out there now. Uh, but all of them uh, aim to create digital scarcity. Um, so if you look at, say, a JPEG or, a, you know, picture or something like that online that I could send to you, it can easily be copied. We share things all the time. Uh, but with cryptocurrencies, they try to make that uh, a much harder process to copy and create true um, scarcity that's really in the virtual digital uh, space, like with emails and things like that. Um, taking that to that next level and making sure it's scarce and um, hard to create, like gold or something like that, uh, a precious metal type um, asset or commodity within the digital uh, realm. So the reason to make it scarce is to give it value pretty much. Yeah, it's to give it value and also, I guess, make it more about trust as well. So if right now, um, in especially online, we don't really have a, um, a privacy and things like that. Um, it's a bit of a thing that's up in the air at the moment. So what Bitcoin really does is change those aspects of the internet um, and make it um, yeah, make it. It's really hard to explain. I guess make it something real and um, provably scarce asset that lives in the digital realm that is borderless, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that it's portable really and it's verifiable. And it doesn't actually come under the control of a central authority. So essentially right now, when we look at money, there's um, banks involved, there's governments involved. So that's really what they're trying to take out is that middleman um, so that we can essentially transact peer-to-peer across countries, um, across, I guess, different value chains and um, all those things together. And what got you interested in cryptocurrencies? Like what drew you in? Uh, I initially looked at it in 2013, but I just couldn't get my head around it. Wait, I know, thought it was more know, like an IT-related okay. nerd kind of thing. Do you know what the price was for Bitcoin in 2013 by any chance? Um, I believe it was around $100. <laughs> um, it just fluctuated into 100 to around $300. Okay. So I actually looked it up uh, and the billionaire, Samad Palihapitiya, he mentioned that um, you should have either 1% or $1,000, whatever you can afford in Bitcoin. So I looked at it then, um, but yeah, I just couldn't get my head around it. I live with uh, three IT guys at the time, um, and I asked them about it, and they didn't really have any idea. So I was like, okay, if they can't really figure this computer money out, then yeah, I, I don't really think I can get my head around it. So I didn't really look at it then. Yeah. Big mistake. But uh, yeah, I ended up looking at it again in 2017 um, when the price of Bitcoin um, uh, rose to around, uh, from around $1,000, it went up to, all the way up to 20000 US dollars. Yeah. Um, and then when I really sort of um, started reading about it, watching videos and listening to podcasts, I realized it was actually more to do with economics and banking and even accounting to an extent because it's like triple entry accounting. So if the two, are, two of us are transacting, with each other, it's not just who was keeping a record on uh, uh, on a blockchain. It's multiple entities across the world uh, recording every transaction uh, that's happening, and every ten minutes, it's basically audited um, in full as well. So it makes it a very secure system. Um, and yeah, given how banks and um, and governments, I guess, more than anything, how they've been printing money and um, pumping a lot of money into the economy, especially after the 2009, sort of got me interested in, uh, in it from an economic uh, standpoint. Yeah, because I think that also kind of brings uh, brings to mind to me why I got interested in cryptocurrency, because I think it was around 2016, 2017, when... Um, I think the price of Bitcoin in Zimbabwe was like 50% more on the Zim exchange or 100% more on the Zim exchange than any other exchange. Yeah. And, you know, that was also, if you are aware of the, I mean, the history of Zimbabwe of our, of inflation, governments printing money. So I think from, from my end, I kind of was exposed to cryptocurrencies maybe like 2015, early 2016, just when it, the hype was building up, that's when I became aware of them. And I just dismissed them as, you know, this is not real money. This is, these are, there were ICOs that were coming up. I was like, oh, this, an ICO is initial coin offering, by the way. So these things yeah. don't have any value. But when I started thinking of them from that perspective of, 
if you're someone who lives in a country where the government is not stable, where the government is corrupt, and you want to store your wealth, you want to preserve your wealth, and you can't keep it in cash, because the cash might get devalued when the government starts printing trillion-dollar notes, there are these digital assets that governments can't manipulate. So I think that's when that's how I, that was the, what got me interested in him, or or for me to actually see the value of what a digital assets uh, represent. Yeah. But um, so I'm already I'm a uh, uh, disclaimer. I'm invested in Bitcoin. Do you think like normal day to day investors should be invested in cryptocurrencies? Well, I guess it, it depends on your personal circumstances and how you feel about risk um, and how, I guess, before you invest, I'd, I'd say really look into it and study about it. Um, like you touched on there, I think it's it's actually easier for people who come from um, a background or a country where there is, has been hyperinflation, where maybe the trust in governments and institutions isn't as great. Um, it's slightly easier to understand and that's one of the unique features of Bitcoin as well. If you look at how it's been adopted, it's really gone from the people who set it up first to um, really like tech entrepreneurs um, and then it's gone to people from developing nations um, who've experienced hyperinflation, South American nations like Venezuela, um, Venezuela, Argentina, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, Zimbabwe. As well, so it's slowly it's going opposite um, to most, I guess, most traditional investments. Usually, it's the really sophisticated investors who get access first, and then it flows through to the everyday person. Whilst here, it's going going the other way. Yeah. Um, so I'd say I yeah, really studied it because it's it's a very interesting topic, and once you go down that rabbit hole, yeah, you kind of get a bit lost in it and you really like talk up a, no- a lot of knowledge yeah. and you start questioning what money is as well. And to your point of whether you should invest, I think if you feel like given the current circumstances where we're seeing pretty much every country around the world due to COVID, um, spending a lot of money, uh, printing a lot of money and um, having a lot of stimulus programs, uh, if you feel that you're looking for something that is scarce, that is not centrally controlled, that has a, a provable, um, I guess, more certain inflation um, timetable, then yeah, you should definitely look into it. Uh, but again, you got to be careful with it because it can be very volatile. It's still very early days. Yeah. Uh, so you really should only invest what you can uh, afford to lose, really. Okay, so let's say I've gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I can see, okay, this is a thing. This is going to change the world. You know, I'm one of those Bitcoin max- maximists who believe all, you know, we're going to go live on Mars. We're all going to be using Bitcoin in 2050. How do I invest in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies today? Like, How do I do it? Uh, well, essentially you have to read their exchanges that are set up. So. There are Australian exchanges as well as btcmarkets.net. Um, and there are a few other exchanges like FTX, um, Binance. So these are more centralized exchanges. So they're run, um, by companies. 
Um, but there are also other alternative uh, uh, alternatives called uh, decentralized exchanges yeah. or DEXs as they're known. So those ones are actually run on uh, smart contracts uh, within the cri- cryptocurrency sphere. So they're run on um, projects like Ethereum where there is no central authority. It's a smart contract where if I'm a seller of a cryptocurrency, you can directly interact uh, with me and there's no central party um, really, you know, storing the coins on our behalf or um, really taking a lot of fees or anything like that. So there are different options. So Again, though, you got to remember with cryptocurrencies, it's still somewhat unregulated. In Australia, we're probably getting a bit more scrutiny now, which is good. Um, yeah, you just have to remember to be careful and not leave really your um, cryptos on exchanges as they can be targeted for hacks and things like that. All right, so let's just pause there. We're going to come back to that point you've made. But let's just go back to a, Let's just take a step back for a second. So... Like how an exchange works, like a normal exchange, like something like the stock market. I want to buy something. I nominate what the price I want to pay for it. Somebody wants to sell something. They nominate the price that the, that they want to sell for it. And then a middleman, the exchange, matches up the buyers and the sellers, right? Yeah, correct. And then they take a commission. So when you said the smart contract, the smart contract is that literally removing the middleman, the exchange, and if you want to buy something at some at a certain price, another person wants to buy something at that same price, you get automatically matched up by the platform that you're on, like Ethereum. Is that the best way? Is that a, is that the right way to understand? What yeah. So what happens is, is um, so the buyer and the seller say, "I'm selling some crypto to you." Um, my wallet and your wallet it would just interact with each other, so it would actually interact with the smart contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would connect to that smart contract and my wallet would connect to the smart contract. And then, um, yeah, that transaction would happen uh, within that smart contract um, platform. Okay. Uh, so it doesn't need like a central authority to take my coins, uh, secure them or store them for a while. And then um, I guess transfer them over to you. It happens within uh, that platform that's created. Okay. So, my question there, or there's one thing that entered my mind when you were mentioning that we now we remove the exchange, right? So usually, if yeah. I, you buy shares off, you know, of the ASX, or the Australian stock market, we're paying brokerage fees. So here, there's is this is this whole exchange happening is for free, or is there some sort of um, amount called brokerage fee or some fee that's being paid to match up people with no exchange, and who gets that fee if there is a fee? Yeah, so the the fee that's paid is more for the execution of the smart contract, yeah. um, and the transfer and the transaction that happens. Um, so on the Ethereum network, for example, uh, they're known as gas fees. So that essentially goes to um, the miners uh, that process the blockchain and uh, all the transactions on the blockchain. So that's really the fee that um, charged, I guess, or expended. And that can vary. So at the moment, the Ethereum fees are quite high yeah. um, because it's been there's a lot of activity on that network. So there's, um, I guess, it's that demand supply kind of um, situation going on where because uh, the demand is quite high, the fees tend to be slightly higher at the moment. Yeah. But there are instances where you can 
uh, essentially transact for a few uh, a dollar or two or even less on some uh, some uh, some platform okay it's so just like a a dumbed down way of thinking about um the miners as you're saying they are just the people who kind of run and operate the infrastructure on that network they kind of make it make sure that it's all working those are the miners in a way yeah so um, i know i know it's an overly simplified way but i'm just trying to does that does that yeah does yeah that definitely sense? because i guess the way to think about it is it's a blockchain right so um what happens is the miners sort of look for the next block they in- include all the transactions um, and then they get rewarded uh, for doing that work. Okay. All right. So now let's go back to the point <laughs> that I originally posed you on. We were talking about the exchanges and you mentioning how people should be careful because some of them aren't secure. Right? We're, we're yeah. The, so the so number one rule in um, cryptocurrency is if it's not your keys, it's not your coin. So that what that's referring to is uh, with your cryptocurrency wallet, um, you have this private key. So essentially, because you are acting as your own bank, you you have the authority with those keys to um, control that wallet. So when you go onto an so, exchange, so a, wallet, you, a wallet is just like a normal wallet. It's just digital. Yeah, it's yeah. essentially an address on um, whatever blockchain that you're working off of. So yeah. it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or one of the other projects. So essentially, the private keys give you control uh, of the coins that are on uh, that are stored in that wallet. And the private so when key you deposit is them onto an exchange, sorry, a private key is that just like a re, is that just like a password or something like that? Um, yeah, I guess you could uh, compare it to a password, but I, I, it's a lot slightly more complicated in that it's usually. Um, the the password is turned into multiple letters, uh, multiple words rather, either twelve or twenty four, or on most occasions. So it's like a twenty four. So it's really word turning. Password. Yeah, it, it's more like a, explain in a simplified way. Um, it's really uh, within that wallet. There's a public address and that private, uh, cryptographically generated password. I guess. So it, it, because it's a very if you think about sometimes you know you get when you're trying to set up a password they try, some websites ask you to create a very complicated one with um, symbols and letters and numbers and lowercase and uppercase so it's something lo- like that a very long password but to simplify it, it's broken down into uh, twelve or twenty four seed words that they're called yeah. But essentially, that gives you control of that wallet. Um, and when you deposit it onto an exchange, you're essentially giving control of those coins um, to a third party. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you think about how blockchain works, as long as you have control of the, your wallet um, and the seed words, if someone wanted to hack uh, a million people, they'd have to actually hack one million people. But if we all deposited um, our cryptos onto an exchange or central authority, they'd essentially only have to crack into one uh, system and they'd have access to a million uh, people and and their money, essentially. 
So that's another, I guess, speciality or like a unique function of blockchain and cryptocurrencies is that because you are your own bank, as long as everyone takes that responsibility on um, and manages it, it actually is a much more secure system than our current traditional um, banking system. We just have to hack one central thing because everything is centralized, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So cold storage is you once so you you buy your Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrency crypto asset off the on the exchange or on a decentralized exchange using the smart contracts of what we've discussed. Once you have them, you put them on your wallet and then you take that onto a cold storage offline. Yeah, so cold storage uh, refers to having something like a hardware wallet. So uh, there's one called a ledger or trezor. Yeah. But you don't necessarily need to have only a cold storage. It's probably best because uh, what you're doing is you're storing um, your uh, private key, the seed words, on a, a specific device. Oh, yeah. It's not um, on like your computer and it's a separate device that when you're interacting with the smart contract or you're using your wallet, you actually have to have access to that specific hardware as well. Yeah. But um, you could have it just as a, you could have a paper wallet where you've written down um, your private key mm-hmm. or you can even have it as a hot wallet, which is like more of an online type wallet but yeah if you want to really secure it it has to be more like a paper wallet or a um, cold wallet a cold storage wallet okay so security securing your assets is probably yeah it's hard and now there's a different task that you can do even multiple signatures um there are even companies that help you with that as well like casa um, so they can help you. They do like security audits as well. Um, some people use even uh, safety deposit boxes, maybe uh, store a portion of their um, their private key. Yeah. So you can do multiple things like that. Obviously, if you've got a lot of crypto, you might into those things as well. Um, but yeah, to start off, it's, um, it doesn't need to be that complicated. Um, you can, yeah, you can start off with a, more of an online wallet and then progress onto a, a cold storage wallet. Okay. So buy your tokens, make sure your wallet is secure. Like, you know, like that's just common sense. If you have money in your wallet, make sure you know where your wallet is. All right. So the next thing, um, you're obviously invested in, in cryptocurrencies. And yeah. I think, was it last year, Bitcoin was 3000 US? And last week, uh, maybe last week, maybe like was it Friday this week, it got up to uh, like forty thousand again. So it's been a crazy ride, very volatile, like twenty, thirty percent moves in the course of a week, up or down. How do you handle that volatility? Uh, the way I look at it is that I keep reminding myself that it's actually very early and the easiest way to do that is look at the market cap of uh, Bitcoin. Um, so currently it's around you know, six, $700 uh, billion. And that sounds like a lot of money, but if you look at the market cap of um, gold, it's $10 trillion. Uh, and then if you look at uh, bonds and fixed interest products and shares, 
the main uh, financial assets that we have there in the hundred, you know, close to hundred trillion dollars each, pretty much. So when you think of it in that respect, I mean, what Bitcoin is trying to achieve is be be like a global uh, currency, and there's only going to be twenty one million of them for seven billion people. So it's very very early days. So it's it's anyway going to be volatile when it's that early. So the best thing to if you're investing in Bitcoin is remember that it's really early and really try and buy a dollar cost average into it as time goes on. Um, and then really don't look at it for a while. Uh, don't stress about it. Like I mentioned previously, invest only what you can afford to um, lose really. Um, and just treat it as an alternative uh, asset class as part of a more diversified portfolio. So there's actually a really good report by uh, Fidelity, which is a large um, asset company that's based in the U.S. They've got a digital asset um, area now in their business, and they've done a really good report where they've looked at uh, bond, uh, 60-40 bonds and shares uh, portfolio and how the risk and the return changes if you allocate like one, two or three percent. So it doesn't have to be a massive allocation when you're, if you think about uh, investing into Bitcoin. It's treated as part of a, a more diversified portfolio and um, yeah, you, you can gain some exposure and increase your returns in the long term without actually taking on a lot of risk. So really the volatility becomes um Buying opportunities. Becomes a feature, really, a strength of your portfolio. Yeah. Okay. So he's saying take your time. Um, dollar cost averaging, which pretty much means just buy when you have funds to buy. Don't really concern yourself with the price per se. If you can get it at a cheaper price, do. But just get into that habit of just buying a little bit, accumulating it slowly because, as you've mentioned, you believe that it's still early days. You know, well, gold is 10 trillion, Bitcoin is 700, 600 billion. So there's a lot of way to go because I think, um, as I think I was speaking earlier in the week or last week where there was that report uh, that was saying that Bitcoin could get up to like 400k per coin. So there's some people out there that are extremely bullish on it. So yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. So. Now I think okay, this the skeptic in me will be saying, "Isn't this just like 2017 when you know Bitcoin? No one knew about it until you know. I remember us being um, like to, having a conversation, and literally everyone around us was talking about Bitcoin, and there was even a group chat that we started on WhatsApp with people who." didn't really talk to each other that much but it was pretty much just and let's talk about cryptocurrency group chat because everyone was you know we're at that um that euphoric stage you know just before a crash when everyone is talking about it and everybody is euphoric so why is now why is it different this time you know they always say oh this time is going to be different but from your perspective what do you see that's in this bull run from you know 2020 into 2021 that was it missing in 2016, 2017? Like, what's different about it? Um, well, if you look back at the 2017 market, um, 
it really coincided with that ICO boom. Um, so the initial call and offerings. And what happened there really was that you got all these new projects coming saying that, you know, going to be the next Bitcoin essentially. And a lot of them were just, uh, you know, like a flashy white paper marketing um, type um, presentation really and not much substance after that. And even with Bitcoin, it got to a stage where uh, there were a lot of unconfirmed transactions on uh, the Bitcoin network. So the actual network was struggling to keep up with the amount of transactions they were getting. So it essentially faced a scalability problem. Uh, but regardless of that, the interest, uh, the hype that was generated uh, with the price meant that it went to uh, quite a high number. But the performance didn't really justify it. Um, and it also had this other ICO boom where lots of people were really, you know, pumping uh, it up and developing their own projects uh, and really trying to get, it was unregulated market. It was like the Wild Wild West, really, trying to get as much money from people um, as possible. So I think everyone kind of got caught up in it and the Bitcoin price as well got caught up in it. And uh, after a while, you know, people realized um, that it was probably a bit overvalued at that stage. So there was a lot of hype, a lot of promise, um, but the performance wasn't really there. Uh, this time, if we look at it, we can see, like I mentioned, the adoption curve previously, it's going kind of in the opposite direction. We're seeing a lot of institutions, uh, institutional investors coming into the market now. Uh, so the one that's really made headlines um, last year's MicroStrategy. Uh, so uh, a U.S. listed company that invested 450 million in cash into Bitcoin. So they essentially have had cash reserves, and uh, the CEO uh, Michael Saylor just said, uh, because of all the printing that was happening and how with negative interest rates and things like that, they were essentially going to lose money if they just held on to cash. And so he looked into Bitcoin and he was convinced by it, um, and he essentially use that as their reserve asset for their balance sheet. And we saw lots of other big name companies like Square um, buy Bitcoin. We saw PayPal uh, introduce Bitcoin as part of their platform. Um, and we've had really like old, uh, well-established companies like Mass Mutual as well investing into Bitcoin. So that's where I think the differences lie, uh, where there are more sophisticated, more institutional level investors looking at Bitcoin now um, and looking to invest. Doesn't mean that the same thing can't happen where people sort of get caught up in it um, and the price goes to a level where it doesn't necessarily justify where the network is at at the moment. Bitcoin is still uh, very slow compared to say Visa or MasterCard in terms of the number of transactions uh, it can process, but that's by design, really, because it's not meant to be that high-frequency transactional layer. It's meant to be more like the base layer. So Bitcoin is essentially like the central bank, Federal Reserve, that kind of layer, and it needs other layers to be built on top of it um, that 
can have high levels of uh, um, transactions uh, per second without as much security, really, and not as many much fees. So th- those things are still to come. But I think at the moment, because that institutional side is coming in, uh, they're a lot more careful with their money than retail uh, investors are. So I think we'll have a much uh, more stable uh, path up, uh, upward from here on. Okay, so what I can infer for that is last time we had and we're just going to call them con artists and uh, dodgy projects with the ICOs. So people are writing up these papers, as you mentioned, uh, just to get money in or projects that weren't going to work, get people's money and that projects will just fail or they'll just con people out of their money. And there was yeah. that hype. Mum and dad investors were the ones who were piling in. But then this time we've got more sophisticated investors, institutions are buying in, Bitcoin is a bit more, the platform itself is a bit more mature so you can handle like more sort of transactions than before. As before, it was probably a bit too early for the amount of attention that it was getting. So now it's a bit more uh, mature if, if, you can, if you can get more mature in like three years. So that's why this time it's a bit different. It could still crash. It's volatile, but that's to be expected with something that's essentially this this young because I think Bitcoin was started in the early 20, 2010s, 2009. Yeah, yeah. 2009. Yeah. So it's like but it's really like the internet. If you look at the internet, it, it was around for a while, but really um, until recently that it's only now really that we're starting to use the internet from you know, education to communication. With with COVID, pretty much everyone's working off the internet now as well. So. It, it can take some time um, for these new technologies to really take off. Um, so it is a slow grind. Um, and sometimes like in 2002 when the tech bubble happened, people can get caught up in the promise of what uh, this new technology can do. And it, we can sometimes, you know, front run the expectations um, based on the expectations and get ourselves into trouble in terms of the valuations and things like that. So it's good to remember, like I said, previously dollar cost average. It's about time in the market and not necessarily trying to time the market. Um, Yeah, and only invest what you can afford to uh, lose. Okay, so you are someone who you've mentioned that you believe that Bitcoin is that central bank, that foundational layer of the digital asset future that's coming, right? It's not something that, it's not going to be the money of the future, but it's going to be that store of value, that's that gold, digital gold, but that's more scarce than gold. Because apparently now, <laughs> I think some article and they're saying that there's a probability that some asteroids have gold on them. <laughs> so yeah. we could be mining asteroids. So I don't know what the, what that's going to do to the gold value in, in, in I mean the gold value if you if there's an abundant supply of gold in space. But that's a conversation for another day. So Bitcoin yeah. is the foundational piece, the base where everything's going to be built on. What what else is on the horizon? Like what other crypto asset or digital asset that you see out there that you think might be that? day-to-day transaction or what other one 
in the, the digital space is something that you find interesting that you feel is not getting a lot of attention or that you feel could be like a game changer down the track? Just to give you know some people some insights on where your mind's at, where you think the next phase of this a digital asset boom is going to go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned, the Bitcoin essentially going to be the that foundational level, the layer. Um, and on top of Bitcoin, uh, within the Bitcoin network, there's something called the Lightning Network. So that's the one that's aiming to be that more medium, medium of exchange, a uh, high uh, number of transactions per second. So there's some progress on that front. Um, if you audience might want to look up, uh, there's an app called Strike. It's actually run by like a 26-year-old, but he's making a lot of waves at the moment um, where he's developed this app and he essentially has some employees that are in uh, Europe as well and he's able to transfer um euros like he turned his US dollars into euros within a matter of seconds using the lightning network. Uh he was also on uh, on the yeah. news because uh, really- an American footballer, Russell Okung, uh, he wanted to be paid in Bitcoin and his company that um actually facilitated that as well. So that's one to look out for. Uh, but again that's on the Bitcoin network. But there are all these other cryptocurrencies um, that are the more experimentation ones. So like Ethereum, uh, there's Polkadot, there's a Link, there's all these other um, cryptocurrencies that are looking to do different things. So the best thing I would say is look at um, a website like LiveCoinWatch or CoinMarketCap where you can see all the cryptocurrencies listed and just go in there and have a read of the the different cryptos and what they're working on because some of them will fail uh, but I'm sure some of them you know will find a lot of value in uh, later on yeah. so I think that's something very interesting that people should also just take note of that these that's why a lot of people refer to them as digital assets or crypto assets and not just cryptocurrencies because it's not all just about money or these things want to be digital money they're also trying to solve like actual real world problems right like i know like uh, yeah. the one you mentioned about stripe i know that that is you know the transfer of money but that's gonna i don't know like you, you and me are both um like naturalized australians or we move we're immigrants here and we do send money back home to our respective countries so something like yeah. that can be will be very disruptive to the way that money is being sent like like remittances the remittances industry is massive, right? It yeah, is, exactly. It is a so this could be something that's a game changer for a lot of people. If you can send money back home in an instant from one currency to another, instant with low fees, that's going to be something that you know. That's like that's that's I mean like that's like a real world problem, you know. Sending that like I mean like a lot of people maybe don't think about it because a lot of Australians don't, aren't really sending money home but yeah that's something that's uh, a project that I'm going to look into that's very interesting so um, is there something else that you wanted to share with us in regards to Bitcoin or I've got some other questions here for you that aren't really Bitcoin related um, I guess in terms of other cryptos there's a couple of new things that are on the horizon like 
Um, in 2020, it was a year for DeFi, so decentralized finance. So that's really projects looking at building things like insurance um, or even uh, yielding um, investments that provide like interest uh, rate uh, to investors. So those things are something to look at as well, looking at projects like Celsius or Nexus Mutual. Um, those are interesting ones as well. And there's also, um, we saw the rise of non-fungible tokens, which are more like art, I suppose. It, it's you know really... What, you know what? You know what? We're going to stop there. <laughs> because I feel like we, we, if we're going to bring you on for another pod down the track and we're going to discuss crypto assets that aren't Bitcoin. Something else, because I feel like we're about to go into a rabbit hole right now. Because <laughs> this yeah, stuff is very interesting. Know, I'll I, save it for another day. Yeah, save, it for, save it for the next pod because I think people after listening to this one might be interested. So if you guys are interested, um, hit us up in the comment section or wherever you listen to podcasts or com- hit up, communicate to me and let me know that you'd want uh, Crypto Carnage, as he's been called, to come back on the pod and share... Uh, some other some something else to do with digital assets that we want to know that it's all not just about uh, Bitcoin. So uh, my f- f- questions to you are just not about um, like one is about cryptocurrencies. So where do you see the cryptocurrency landscape going in twenty twenty one, and what other investments asset classes are you watching in twenty twenty one that aren't cryptocurrency? Um, 2021, I think it's going to be a big year for Bitcoin, especially and Ethereum, because those are the two that the institutional investors are really looking at. Uh, so I'd be interested to see where we end up uh, at the end of this year in terms of price, but also on how the scalability side goes for both those projects. Uh, like, like we spoke about earlier, the Lightning Network for Bitcoin, but Ethereum's also um, looking having some scalability problems and they're looking to solve that as well. So both the projects need to make a lot of progress on that front, um, as well as the regulation side, um, because governments are paying a lot more attention to it. Um, and we're going to see regime changes in, uh, in the U.S. as well. So we'll have to see how all of that plays out. And one of the the third largest cryptocurrency, which was Ripple, um, that's been actively looked at in the US by the SEC. So that's going to be another interesting um, interesting one for the larger market cap uh, cryptocurrencies. In terms of other investments, um, I'm more partial to uh, shares. So in terms of shares, I'm interested to see how all this stimulus, how all of that is going to impact the shares because a lot of them look overvalued at the moment, uh, but you know if that money is really me- meant to be like a unit of account, but when that keeps changing and it's changing so drastically, it it becomes very hard to uh, you know value something like and know whether it's really overvalued or undervalued. And now we've got negative interest rates at play. Uh, we're getting very very low interest rates here at home as well. So it'll be interesting to see how all the retirees who've been, you know, living off of term deposits 
um and maybe high dividend high yield shares how they go about it whether they feel like they need to take more risk that could potentially drive up uh, share uh, but the third one i'm kind of looking into now is the property sector and especially commercial property how covid and working from home uh, all those aspects are going to impact um, that sector because it will be very interesting to see how the cbds um and those office buildings the high rises what happens to them in the next few years really if this becomes more of a new normal are you working from home at the moment yeah i've been working from home since march so and you're not going back anytime soon yeah it's almost a year <laughs> i'm not going back not anytime soon okay and uh the last question is what piece of advice would you give 16 year 16 year uh, 16 year old carnage ah 16 year old a long time ago i know you're old i would say uh, be more open minded i think lots of people you know uh, there are a lot of intelligent people but what i find is the way we are sort of educated the way we learn we tend to be more close minded um and someone once said to me that the world is not black and white it's all just gray really so lots of people call like bitcoin a bubble they still call bitcoin a bubble to this day even though you know it's been um 11 years now um, or more than that and it's been the best performing asset for a long long time so always be open minded and look into things um i don't go in with any you know preconceived notion and try to learn as much as possible yeah oh, very insightful stuff anyway carnage thank you for joining me on the pod i can't wait for you to come back and give us more info on all things cryptocurrency we appreciate your time i'd say i'd link your sh- details in the show notes but we all know that you you don't want to be found by anyone so uh no but i've got a few uh, maybe interesting articles podcasts and video links that maybe i can share with you and you yeah. can give those to the audience yeah. yeah send them to me i'll put them in the show notes uh this one will be coming out probably in the next three weeks oh that doesn't really matter anyway thank you for joining me thank you everybody for listening uh this has been a good one i hope you guys got something of value from this pod if you have any questions don't forget to hit me up and until the next time don't forget to take care of yourselves take care of each other and don't forget to call your moms and we are out bye